Good morning, Church on the Rock. My name is Rashad Cunningham. I'm one of the pastors here at Church on the Rock, and I am overwhelmed with, like, emotion, so I'm trying to keep it together and still teach what I'm supposed to teach. Y'all set me up. That's why I'm going to get all of you back individually. All right. We do the Good Morning Church on the Rock to make sure that you are present, that you're here. It's nothing about me. It's just me wanting to know that you're focused. You, ha- you had an extra hour, right? Everybody got an extra hour of sleep, so I don't, no excuse. When I say Good Morning Church on the Rock, Loud as you can. Good morning, Rashad. Let's go. Good morning, Church on the Rock. Boom. All right. We are continuing through our Roman series. Pardon me if my voice is a little hoarse. I went crazy last service, so I'm, I'm trying to like give you everything I got left before I go home and crash. But we're in this Roman series that we're going over for however long I decide to go. I quit putting years on it. All right. But we're in the Gospel Talk series, okay? Gospel Talk series. Last week, we talked about um, our gospel obligations, obstacles, and opportunities. And now we're in verses 16 and 17, which are the theme of the entire book of Romans. So I'm going to read this, but then we're going to focus on one specific phrase because we cannot understand the, the rest of the book until we conquer this phrase. So today's going to be a little less exegetical, like line for line, and more of just a topical, this is what this phrase means, walk with me so we can get through it, all right? So here we go. Romans 1.16, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So what we're going to look at today is that phrase, the righteousness of God. We'll go back next week, and we will break that thing down word for word, line for line, like we always do. But right now, you cannot read the remainder of Romans and not understand what the righteousness of God revealed is. So for in it, the gospel, which is, I put that in there for you, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, did a little quick survey and sent out some questions to a whole bunch of different Christians and was like, what's the righteousness of God? And people were like... You know, that thing that, you know, righteousness. I'm supposed to have righteousness, right? No. (laughs) That's not what the righteousness of God is. And there's all these answers. And some of them were actually right. But even when I dug a little deeper, you could see that they actually did not understand the importance of the righteousness of God. It's one of those Christianese words that you've heard the entire time you've been in church or since you've been in church here. You've heard people say, yes, and the righteousness of God and the righteousness of Christ and you're righteous and he's righteous and we're righteous. We're all righteous, right? But you really don't know what it means, right? Like if you're being honest, anybody going to raise their hand? Anybody brave enough to say, I don't know what righteousness means? Thank, thank you. And there's more people in here who don't, all right? So don't worry about that. I'll raise my hand too. I didn't know for a time what the righteousness of God really meant. So that's what we're going to do. We're simply going to explain and define what this is and define why it's important for you. And it's going to be heavy. And there's a lot of slides. Bear with me. Because once you grasp this, Um, It changes the way you look at salvation. It changes the way you look at your life after Christ. And for those of you who are non-believers who are probably saying, I would do this if I could do this, but I can't can't do right or I can't keep it together. Mm -hmm. 
the righteousness of God will take care of you too. I'm sorry. I've been like choking on my spit and everything. I don't know what's going on. All right. <clears throat> so we have to start from the beginning. Starting from the beginning. We have to look at the sin situation. All right. If we cannot know anything about the righteousness of God if we do not look at the sin situation. So that's going to be the first point if you're taking notes. First thing we're talking about, the sin situation. In the beginning, God created man in his own image. That would be Adam. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created in his own image. So Adam was created in the image of God. And the most important part of that in regards to righteousness is this. Adam had the ability to reason and choose. Adam had the ability, like you, like you, like you, like me, to reason, to think for ourselves, and to actually make a choice, or it's called man's volition. He, he's created in the image, so he, he can choose what he wants to do. He can choose how he does it. He has choice. That's very important, because look what happened uh, as we go further in Genesis. Genesis 2.16, the Lord God commanded the man... Adam, saying, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely. He says, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So many people start here and they go, well, why did he put the tree there in the first place, right? This proves that man was created in God's image. He has choice. If there's no choice to be made, are you truly free to make a choice? Think about it. If I can't make a choice, I'm not truly free to make a choice. I'm a robot. God did not create robots, okay? He didn't create robots. He created human beings. We have volition. We can make a choice. The tree presented a choice. God said, don't eat or else you make the choice, okay? And we all kind of know what happens, right? That's when it gets kind of bad, right? So when the woman, for those of you who don't know, stop it. Stop it. Stop. He did that, not me, all right? So for those of you who don't know, Adam and Eve, all right, are in the garden, and the serpent comes and starts talking to Eve. Now, first of all, to get back on him right here, I ain't, I ain't pointing at nobody, um, the man didn't do anything to step between the serpent and Eve in the first place, so he was out of place in that, right? Right, ladies? But y'all still jacked up. Anyway, nah, nah, look. But look at this, look at this, look at this. All right, so the serpent is talking to Eve, and Eve is deceived. It says, the, and the Bible says she was deceived because he's like, are you sure God said don't eat the fruit? Are you sure he said you're going to die? Like, are you positive that was his words and whatnot? And then this is what happened. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lie, and that it was a delight to the eyes, lie, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave it also to her husband, Adam, with, uh, excuse me, gave it also to her husband with her, and he ate. Keep going. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and tried to make coverings for themselves. So here's the problem. There's a choice that could be made. All right? There's a choice. Obey God or don't obey God. And if you disobey God, it brings death. This is how you define sin. Sin is making a choice to disobey God. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Give me my next slide. In Romans 5.12, in Romans 5.12, it says, therefore, so imagine jumping from that situation. It says, therefore, because of that, just as through one man, 
One man. Sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. All right. One man committed this choice to disobey God. And through his choice, everybody in this, in here, in here, everybody's a sinner. Now, there's two views on this. I want to make sure I'm faithful to both. One is over here, okay? Over here, there's a view that says, because Adam is the beginning of creation, beginning of humanity, Adam, I'm sorry, bro, you, you just happen to be over here, right? <laughs> because Adam is the, the father of all people in terms of creation, right? Adam was the first. We, we inherit his sin nature. The human nature is that we have a tendency or a nature or a want to disobey God. So it's an inherited nature. You're born, and because you're born of Adam, you just naturally can't help but do what God says, do opposite of what God tells you to do or not do what he tells you to do. It's in your nature, and I believe that. That is very true. But over here, there's another side of this argument that says sin is imputed to man also. Now, that's a big word, impute. Well, it's not a big word, but it's a weird word, impute. It sounds weird. But look, impute means this, and this is going to be key for the entire uh, uh, sermon. You have to grasp this. To impute is to think of as belonging to someone, therefore, to cause it to belong to that person. So, although you did not do the sin of choosing the fruit, because God, in his justice, in his rightness, in his just being sovereign, he has imputed that to you. It belongs to you because he said it belongs to you. I remember in basketball, anybody been on a basketball team where one person shoots the free throw, and if they miss, we all got to run because one person missed the free throw? His missing the free throw led to all of us running. And I'm like, but I didn't shoot the free throw. I ain't the one that missed it. Why I got to run, right? Or like when I was in the Navy boot camp, Charles, you remember when like they'd be like, if one of y'all rack, if one of y'all's rack isn't made, if your bed's not made right, everybody got to do push-ups. And I'm like, so I suffer punishment because Clinton didn't make his bed? Man, that's trip, right? So immediately when we see this doctrine, we say, that's not fair, Rashad. I, I, I didn't choose Adam to represent me. Like I, I would have chose somebody else. Who? Who? Because, come back down here, everybody's been inherited with sin anyway. At some point, everybody's going to choose against God anyway. Who, who's going to represent you? So even if you don't like this view, because there's a split in the views here, um, this is what comes down to the middle. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody. The reason I think it's important to understand what the imputation of sin is is because A is going to be consistent with our argument today. But I want to show you something else. Give me my next slide, Leah. Look what, uh, what King David says when he's talking to God. Look at this. He says, against you and you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. In other words, I have actually sinned. D Dave is like, yo, I've actually done wrong. And we know David's done wrong, right? Like he messed with Bathsheba when she was married to somebody else. He put his boy on the front line so he could be murdered. He lied to some people in a tent. Like David is a sinner, right? And he says, I have done evil in your sight so that God, you, are justified. You're right. You're correct when you speak and you're blameless when you judge me as a sinner. So when God calls me guilty, I've proven it through my actions. But look at this. Look at this. 
He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin and he says, and in sin, my mother conceived me. Now, now David was the last child of, of, of Jesse and, and, and his wife. So it wasn't like he was born like out of wedlock or something like that. No, no. He's saying like, I'm literally created guilty. There's a charge against me. There's a declaration against me that I'm guilty. Well, how's he guilty if he hasn't done anything? How's, how's he guilty if he hasn't committed a sin. He hasn't done anything. How's he, how's he born a sinner? How's he born guilty if he hasn't actually sinned? And this is where you get your little gap of some people that say, well, that's why there's a, a, an age of accountability. Okay, what's the age? Hmm? Because, because if it's an age of accountability, we just baptized a seven-year-old last week, right? And he understood the gospel. He articulated better than some of the adults in here. So what's that age? And, and what about this? What, what about the fact that he gets it, but another seven-year-old doesn't get it yet? So does this, does this age, is it inconsistent? Is it 13 for some, 20 for some, 2 for How's that fair? How's that just, right? So I, I don't know where you're at in that, but what I'm saying is the Bible says all are sinners, okay? All are sinners. From the moment you're born, you are literally born, brought in, in iniquity, in sin, whether you think that is just because it's been inherited and it's a part of your nature and you will eventually sin, or whether you think it's been imputed and you've been charged guilty because of the representation of Adam. Regardless, all of sin, okay? So no need to argue that. No need, we, we can do that over lunch or something, over, over my candy or something, right? But no need to argue that, all right? No need to argue that because I want to show you this. Romans 3.10, stay with me. As it is written, this is what the Bible says, so it has to be true. There is none righteous. We don't even know what that word means yet, okay? There's none righteous, not even one. Keep going. There is none who understands, none who seeks for God. Keep going. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. So regardless of where you're at on that spectrum or whether you're in the middle, just look what the word says. Nobody, and I looked at the Hebrew and the Greek, guess what none means? None. Right. See, y'all learning. Y'all growing with me. None means none. There is not one, not one person who seeks after God. Not one. I, but what about my grandma? She says, well, I don't care. But, well, my teenager, I don't, and, and we know this to be true because look, look at the cultural language. This is, this is how you got to fight with this. What do we say? Oh, she's in her terrible twos. Like, Really? Her terrible twos, why? Because she's disobedient. She's a sinner. Oh, boys will be boys. What? That's, that's our excuse for boys being in the locker room saying stuff they ain't got no business saying because they're sinners. Oh, it's that time of the month. What? That, is that too far, y'all? Yeah. <laughs> and y'all recording me. Great. There goes the next member. Ain't nobody coming back, right? All right, so, so no, no, seriously. But we make excuses. Terrible twos. Boys will be boys. I ain't even going to say that again. Like, we make excuses for why we are sinners. We just come up with excuses, right? Oh, it's the way I was brought up. It's, no, it's because you're a sinner, right? You don't sin. I mean, excuse me. You're not a sinner because you sin. No, no. You sin because you're a sinner. You are a sinner and therefore you sin, okay? So let's just get that together because it comes to this conclusion in Romans 3.23. For all, not a couple... Not a few, not, not racist white or racist black folks, not lesbians, not transgenders, not, uh, you name it. All includes everybody in this room. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single last one of you. How dare you look down on anybody else in this world when you are a part of that all. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2.1 says it like this. You, he's talking to believers. You, believers, Christian church folks, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He says, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're, look at this, by nature, so there's the nature part, you were by nature a child of wrath. That, that was your nature. That's a part of your spiritual DNA. Like, Dogs bark. Stop barking. The dog gonna look at you and be like, it's my nature, bro. Like, this is what I do. I bark, right? It's the same, yo, it's your, it was your nature. A child of wrath, you, you, that's what you are. That's, that's how you were created. You were shaping in iniquity. You were born in sin. Your nature is wrath. You're headed for wrath because you are guilty. You are guilty. Look at this. And on the other side of you, if you're over here with the imputation, look at this. He had to rescue us from what? The kingdom of darkness. So imagine this. If there's a, I'm, I'm in the medieval movies, right? And so like when there's a war between this kingdom and that kingdom, if I'm over here in this kingdom, like I'm on this side over here with Adam's kingdom or whatever, right? No, I don't want to be on your kingdom. I'm going to come over here. All right. So I'm, in, I'm over here with Ron and them, right? And we're at war with that kingdom, Adam's kingdom over there. So anybody sitting over there, whether you like me or not, I don't care. You're a part of their kingdom. You're the enemy. You were born into the enemy's kingdom, right? Like you already are an enemy when you're born because you're born in that kingdom. He had to rescue you from that kingdom. So it's not about, well, I haven't sinned yet. I don't care. You're the enemy. You are spiritually at war with God. You're born over here in this kingdom. You just confirm that you belong to that kingdom when you sin. Does everybody got that? Does everybody, I want you to grasp it. Everybody got it? Heads nodding. Okay, that is our sin situation. All right? That is our sin situation. Whether you believe that you inherit it, impute it, or both. I believe both. I believe it's inherited and imputed. That means you double guilty. You guilty, guilty. That's a problem, right? Now look at this. Now look at this. Give me my next slide. Um, no, go back. You had it. You had it. Yep. The set standard. So the sin solution, why is that a problem, Rashad? Because there's a set standard. There is a standard. The creator of the universe, the creator of the heavens of earth, the ones who created you, he set a standard. There is something, there is a standard to meet, and when you sin, you fall short of the glory or the standard that he has set. You have, you missed the mark. You fall short of the glory. You don't meet the standard. Okay, let's look at what this standard looks like. This is where it gets really nasty. All right, so first, Proverbs 17, 15 says this. He, God, I mean, excuse me, not God. No, not God. Don't, don't, no, no. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. So look at this. Think about this. Whoever, go back, whoever justifies the wicked, whoever condemns the righteous. So if you're wrong and somebody justifies that, you know how we like cosign our boys. Like, man, she was tripping, man. It's cool. Nah, bro, like you are justifying your boy cheating on his girl because, mm, you see that? And then 
uh, when you condemn the righteous, right, like somebody has, has um, done what's right, and yet because they're a goody tissue, you're like, oh, like, no. So the Lord says those are abominations. That's his standard. He cannot justify the wicked. He cannot condemn the righteous. Remember that. Remember that as we walk through this. All right, then we go on to uh, Psalm 5. We're just, we're, right now, all we're doing is setting the standard. I'm showing you what the standard looks like. He says, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. So, right, so where does God dwell? In heaven, right? Well, no evil can dwell there. And sin is evil, all right? All right, and he says, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. All right, he's setting a standard. He goes on, look at this in um, uh, uh, Matthew 20. He's going to be holy as God is holy. That is a standard. Holy meaning set apart. Holy meaning different. Ho- holy meaning consecrated, different than the world. So look, look what happens here. We get into Leviticus 11.44. And he says, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. This is the Old Testament. He's setting a standard. I'm holy. You need to be holy. Is everybody feeling that? I, I'm holy. So if you want to dwell in heaven, you need to be holy. Stay with me here. Stay with me. Go to to my next scripture. In 45, he says, but I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Okay? He's setting. This is the standard to get into heaven. He keeps going. He says, speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, For I, the Lord your God, am holy. This is the standard. This is what it takes to get into heaven, people. Holiness. Let's keep going. Peter says, so this is New Testament. You're like, oh, that's the Old Testament, Rashad. Old Testament don't apply to us. All right, whatever. Look, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it was written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. There's the standard. Right? He's setting the standard. Holiness. This is about to get really tough. Look, in Matthew 5, 20, when he's, when he's talking to the disciples, he says to them, For I say to you that unless your righteousness, we don't really know what that word means yet. Hold on, hold on. But unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, and, and the scribes and the Pharisees, they would have been the most righteous in terms of they knew the, they knew the Old Testament front to back. Memorized it, right? Knew every single word, lived it out, even added some things just to be even holier, right? And Jesus looks at them, looks at the disciples and says, hey, unless you're doing it better than them, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You see that? Your entrance into the kingdom of God is you being more righteous than the Pharisees and the scribes. So he says, let me, let me show you what that looks like real quick in case you don't understand. The Pharisees... And the scribes, you've heard them say, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder would be liable to court. Everybody's like, yeah, you commit murder? Yeah, that's a sin, bro. But he says, I'm the word. I am Jesus, right? Let me show you what that really looks like. You thought it was just don't murder somebody. Look what it is. I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Uh Uh-oh. Hold on. Ryan, you mean to tell me, bro, if you and me got a problem and I'm angry with you, and it's not righteous anger, I'm guilty as if I murdered somebody? Yep. What if I don't say nothing to him, I just feel it? Yep. 
uh-oh, we got a problem, right? But he goes on, give me my next one. He goes on, he says, you've heard this. You've heard don't commit adultery. And everybody's like, yeah, you can't cheat on your wife. You can't cheat on your husband. Of course that's not right, right, Dave? That's not right. But Jesus goes, uh, uh, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with, his, with her in his heart. Hold on, hold on. I didn't touch her, though. I just thought about her. I looked a little too long. You know, I was in the gym, and uh, that's, that, that makes me not, like, that, that kicks me out. Like, I can't get in the kingdom just for thinking about. I mean, bro, I was watching TV, and something came on, and she just looked. And really? Like, that, that excludes me? I didn't do nothing. I just thought, this is the standard, y'all. This is the standard of what holiness looks like. He goes on and he says, hey, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's what you heard, right? But keep going. He says, but I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of cheating or unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Uh-oh, this is like 70% of the church. Let's just keep it real. A lot of people on a fourth, third, second marriage. And, and, and it's a good, faithful man. They're faithful church members. They come in. They, hey, we serve, we give, and all that. I don't care. This is the standard. This is the, I'm talking to some of y'all right now. This is the standard. You own your second marriage, and it was because of irreconcilable differences. Nobody cheated. We just don't get along anymore. Guess what? Guess what? It's adultery. You married again? It's adultery. That's the standard. That's 70% of the church right there. That's, that's the standard. That's the standard. Okay? So we keep going. I, and I know everybody's like, yo, bro, like you, you better watch when you walk out, man. <laughs> Bear with me. It gets better. It gets better. I'm just setting the standard. Okay? He says, again, you've heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. And he says, but I say to you, don't make an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is not the throne of God. He says, matter of fact, keep going, keep going. Uh, let your statement be yes, yes, and no, no. In other words, when you be like, man, oh, my mama, I didn't up. You missed the standard. You can't put nothing on your mama. Your mama don't belong to you. Man, on God, I'm up. You can't put nothing on God. How you putting something on God? Man, on my life, up. your life don't belong to you. You can't even make one hair on your head gray. You think you got all that gray hair because of you? That's God. Embrace that gray hair. But no, 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 seriously. Seriously, though. Seriously, though. You cannot put anything on yourself because you don't belong to yourself. So when you do, I promise, man, I promise to God I didn't. No, 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 no. You missed the standard. You no longer hit the standard. Keep going. So he goes on. He says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what they were saying. The Pharisees were saying that. But he says, no, 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 I tell you, love your enemies. Uh, pray for those who persecute you. That will probably wipe out the rest of us, right? So here's the conclusion. Therefore, you, believer who wants to go to heaven, be perfect, perfect. Meet the standard in all ways because your heavenly father who dwells in heaven, yeah, he's perfect. So if you want to kick it with him, you got to be perfect too. You get that? Does everybody grasp that? Okay. So look at this. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Not okay, he I, he's perfect. Everything about the, the standard he set is the standard that you have to reach to be with him. Okay. So look at this. James says, whoever keeps the whole law, 
So you're doing really good. You ain't murdered nobody. You ain't cheated on your wife. You ain't put nothing on God. But he stumbles in one point. I lied to my mama when I was 10. That's it. I just lied to my mama when I was 10. That was it. That's, that's all. Dan, that's all I did, man. I just lied to my mom when I was 10. Surely, the re- I got everything else down pat, Dan. I just lied to my mama when I was 10. He says, you become guilty of all of it. Think about that. This is the standard. This is the standard. I did everything else right. I just lied to my mama when I was 10. I ain't lied since. You're guilty of everything else according to the law. He says, for the one who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. Now, if you do, commit, if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of, a transgressor of the law. This is, this is the mm, beauty of sin is this. Um, when, when that homosexual, transgender, drug dealer, uh, stripper, whatever walks in here, I can't look down on them because anything that they're doing, I've technically done when I did my dirt. We equal. Sin puts us on the same playing field because all have sinned and fallen short of the standard that was set by God. You see how that works? You see how that works? So we keep going. Now look at this. Matthew 19, 20, I mean 16. Uh, there's this rich man. He comes. He says, teacher, what good things shall I do that I... I may obtain eternal life. He said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Okay, so he's like, all right, all right. Richard Neuber is like, okay, which ones? And Jesus said, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery. He pretty much goes through the Ten Commandments. Look what happens here. The young man said to him, all these things I've kept. Look, look at this. What am I still lacking? I've done all of that, Jesus. I kept the law. I kept the law. I've done a good job. He says, okay, if you wish to become complete, perfect, holy, if you wish to hit that standard, go sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. This is how you're going to hit the standard. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he owned much property. And as Jesus said, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man. And remember, this ain't LeBron James rich. This is y'all, Americans. You got a home? You got a car? This is rich. You know what I'm saying? You ain't got to be LeBron James to be the rich young ruler in this, in this parable. This is you. He says, it's harder for a rich man to enter the king of heaven. Keep going. Excuse me. He says, again, I said to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, look at this. Look at their response. When the disciples heard this, they said, what? Like, he gave, I mean, he was doing everything right and just because he won't give up his possessions. And then you're talking about a camel and a needle and, and an eye of a... Man, then who can be saved, bro? Right? Like, I've been walking with you. I've been talking with you. How can anybody be saved? After hearing everything I've just told you about the standard to get into the kingdom, you should have the same question. You should really be looking at yourself and saying, bro, I missed the standard this morning. This morning I woke up and I already jacked up the standard. How can anybody get into heaven, Ryan? How can anybody get into heaven? Like, this doesn't make any sense because there's nobody who's going to meet those standards, man. Like, especially if you just told me we got a sin situation where we naturally want to not meet the standard or it's been imputed on us and we're guilty just for being born. So who's going to heaven? Hmm? Who, who in here has, has kept the standard? Anybody? Anybody? Look, even the baby won't raise his hand, right? Roman like, man, I'm, nah, bro, it ain't, it ain't me, Right? <laughs> Like, nobody, right? So look at this. Righteousness. 
Here's a, here's a working definition, okay? You'll get in your Bible dictionaries, you'll see different definitions. I'm just trying to make it plain for you, okay? Perfectly meeting the set standard. Righteousness means to perfectly meet the set standard. So the righteousness of God is, go, go back, go back, go back. The righteousness of God, take out the word righteous, and the perfect meeting of the set standard of God. That's why you can be righteous by your girlfriend, right? Like, like my wife may say, he's a righteous husband because she set a standard and I meet the standard. And because I meet the standard, I'm righteous in her eyes. But I don't care about my wife's eyes. Being righteous in my wife's eyes ain't going to get me to heaven. That's why your righteousness, according to the Bible, is boo-boo. It's horrible. It's a filthy menstrual rag. Why? Because from the standard of God, you still haven't met his set standard. So I know everybody says you're a good brother, you're a good sister, you're a great worker, you're an awesome husband, awesome child, awesome. I don't care what them people next to you tell you. You haven't met the standard. Righteousness of God, not of anybody else. So your pastor can't get you in heaven, your wife can't get you in heaven, and everybody you be looking at trying to, trying to tell them what they are, to, man, pastor's righteous. No, I'm not. Not in God's eyes. I'm not. You not. Ain't nobody righteous, okay? So perfectly meeting the set standards is what righteousness means. And look at this. God is a righteous judge, meaning when he judges, when you stand before him on judgment day and he's delivering who goes where, He's going to base it on that standard. He's not going to say, I know you grew up in the hood, Shot. I know life was hard, Shot. So I know when you joined that gang or sold that dope or did what you had to do, I'm going to pardon it because of your circumstances and your situations. Nope. I know your marriage was tough, bro, sis. So when you left them because it was a tough marriage and y'all didn't get along and you got with somebody else, I'm going to make it. I'm going to pardon that. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. It doesn't matter. You missed the standard. I don't care about your circumstances. I don't care about your situations. There is a standard. And if I change it, guess what? I'm not God anymore. If I change my standard, then the whole Bible can be changed. And then we're all in trouble. Okay? So the standard remains. He's a righteous judge. Work with me here. Next up. Give me my next slide. So look at this. Remember, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. So we are wicked. How can he justify us? We're wicked. Everything in you is wicked. Okay? You're wicked. Nobody seeks after God. More importantly, how can he condemn Jesus? If Jesus is who he said he is, then there's no way he can condemn Jesus because Jesus ain't done nothing to nobody. Jesus hasn't done any wrong. So look at this. Here's the Savior solution to our, our sin situation and to that set standard. Here's the Savior solution. Keep going. Remember, impute is to think of as belonging to someone, therefore to cause it to belong to that person. Pause right there. Um, last night I met with John and Susan Grace, and Susan is going to bake cookies for something. I forget what it was. But John was like, John took the credit. He was like, yeah, we are baking cookies. <laughs> Susan stopped at the door, right? And she was like, we? She's like, I'm baking cookies. He was like, no, we, <laughs> right? So she going to do all the work. She going to do all the baking, but I'm going to get the credit for it. I'm in, he imputed on himself. He's like, these cookies, I'm imputing on me, <laughs> you know? Like, when you eat these cookies, 
They, they because of me too. I'm just imputing on myself. It's to think of as belonging to someone. Therefore, you cause it to belong to that person. This is what God does. Now, look at this. This is important because um, in Philemon, Paul gives us an example. Really quick, Philemon was a slave owner. Uh, in the Roman times, not like African-American slave owner, but like in the Roman times. So basically, Onesimus probably, who's, who's a guy that was a slave, he owed a debt to Philemon. And so the way you pay off debt, you say, I'm going to enslave myself to you to pay off this debt. Well, Onesimus at some point took off and didn't finish off paying the debt, and he took off, and that's punishable by death. But when he got with Paul, after he took off and was somewhere with Paul, uh, Paul led him to Christ. Onesimus becomes a Christian. Paul tells him, hey, you need to go make that right. Go back to Philemon. I'll write a note because I know that brother. He, write, he writes Philemon and says, hey, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, impute that to my account. Charge that to my account. I didn't run away. I didn't owe you nothing, but you can impute that onto me as if I myself did it and charge it to my account. I'll pay the price for that. Leave that brother alone. You see how that works? Does everybody see how the word impute works? Now look at this. 2 Corinthians 5. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus did not sin. So he's righteous because he's met the standard. He hasn't done anything wrong. He met the set standard. So how do... How do if, if, if condemning righteousness is an abomination, then what do I have to do to make him the savior of all humanity that believes in him? I have to impute all of humanity's sins onto Jesus, although he didn't commit the sins, although he didn't do the sins. I'm, I'm putting it all on him so that when he dies, it's on your behalf for your sins. Do you see that? Do you see how he imputes all of your wrong that you deserve to go to hell for. You deserve to go to hell. And he takes the reason that you deserve to go to hell and puts it on Christ, even though Christ didn't do anything for what you did. He didn't do nothing to go to hell, didn't do nothing to deserve death, but he took it on for you. Do you get that? Do you get this, 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 this is the gospel right here. And it goes forward. Excuse me. And so the death of Christ paid the wage for our sins. You got it? The death of Christ. You were in sin dead. All right? If this, is, if this is zero, you were like underground septic tank, right? You, you were in You owed a price for your sins. I only sinned once. Yep, you too. I was just born. Yep, you too. You owe a price for sin. It is death. Christ paid the debt, brought you back to the table. All right? Brought you back to the table. But look at this. Keep going. Matthew 5.17 is back in that, that area of how we talked about the righteousness. Look at this. Jesus says, do not think that I came to abolish the law, okay, the Old Testament, the law, or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill the law. This is important. He says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke, which is actually jot or tittle, shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So look how perfect Jesus had to be. A jot refers to the Hebrew word yod. You see that little thing in the parentheses? That's a letter, okay? He couldn't miss anything in the law that was even that, like, like if you remove that, it'll change a word. He had, to, he had to hit everything down to the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And a tittle, a tittle is a small mark in a Hebrew letter. So to give you an understanding from our perspective, uh, the letter C and E, that little line that makes a C, a E, that's a tittle, 
right? Jesus had to actually keep the law down to the tittle. The, like, that's weird, right? But down, because look, look, C-A-S-T is cast, right? Add the tittle, it's east. He had to keep it down to the tittle. He had to get it just right. And, 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 and if not, then he's not living a perfect, holy life. All right, he goes on, and this, then he says, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And only one could keep and teach it. That's name was Jesus. So then he says, I say to you, unless your righteousness is greater or surpasses that of the scribes or the Pharisees, you're not getting in. If they would have heard it in that context, they would have said, well, then who's going to heaven? Who's going to heaven in this room? It's, I'm looking at a whole bunch of dead people. If that's the case, nobody's going to heaven in this room. Sorry for you. Your hope is gone. I'm, I'm, I don't know what to tell you, right? So it goes on. And when the disciples said that, that, that who can be saved after the camel in the eye and understanding everything they understood, look what happened. Look what Jesus said. He said, and looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people... Everybody here who's a person, raise your hand. Yes, all of you are people. With people, this, getting into heaven, is impossible. Yep. But with God, all things are possible. Why is that important? Now we're going to roll. Justification means that you have been, you've been declared not guilty in the court of law. You've been justified. You are declared the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ as not guilty. But here's the thing. Look at this. Not only did Jesus pay for your sin debt to get you back to zero, but God has declared that you perfectly met the set standard based on his life. That is the righteousness of God. Many of us believe Christ died for me, paid my debt, I'm good. But if he left you there, you still are not righteous. You're not righteous. How many people have believed in Jesus Christ and then went on to sin? Hmm? Any believer, I would better raise your hand. If you believed in Christ, the very next day after I said, I give my life to Christ, I made a mistake. I didn't meet the mark the very, probably the next hour, okay? So how am I going to get in? His life, his perfect life of meeting every jot and tittle has to be imputed to me. The righteousness of God, which was fulfilled by the perfect life of Christ, is imputed to my account. Now I got what it takes to go in. But Rashad, I haven't lived a perfect life. That's my point. You see this? The, the life of Jesus gets you in. This is what keeps a lot of people from believing. Look at this. I want you to see this. Look at this. They say, Rashad, I would believe, but I'm not going to be able to be perfect. Rashad, I would believe, but after that, I don't know how I'm going to get myself together. And I'm looking at you and I'm crying for you because it's not about you. You will never be righteous enough to get into heaven. It takes the life of Christ that's already been lived that's already been perfect, accounted it to your account. I mean, accredited to your account. God looks at you and says, Dave, little Dave, you are perfect, but I ain't perfect. Mm -mm. I'm declaring you perfect based on what Jesus did. If you place your dependence on that, you have the righteousness of God. Can you feel that? Because the world is still looking at you Christians and calling you hypocrites because you are. 
You are hypocrites. You're not the holy ones. You're not the priests. You're not the bricks. You're not everything you're supposed to be. When you go out there, they look at you and they say, what a hypocrite based on what the standard is. You are not that. But you can look back at them and say, but Jesus was. I'm not going to heaven because of me, bro. I know I'm jacking up in front of you. I know I'm failing in front of you. But I placed all of my dependence on Jesus. All my hope is in Jesus. It can't be on me because I'm still messing up. So the gospel, in the gospel that says the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. In the gospel, the perfectly met standard of God, the way to perfectly meet his set standard, it's revealed. You see that? Does that make sense now? In the gospel, the righteousness of God is made understood to you. It's opened up for everybody in the world and, and for even the children to say, you don't have what it takes to get into heaven. I don't care how many cookies Susan baked, she can't get into heaven off her awesome cookies. It takes the life of Jesus and Jesus alone. And so we're closing out. Place your faith, anybody in here right now, place your faith, your full dependence. It, it doesn't look like this when my feet are still on the ground, right? It, it's literally like, oh, I'm scared. So I ain't even got faith now. I ain't even got faith now. But it's, it's like this. It's like Jesus you got me, bro? Like, everything for you to get into the kingdom of heaven has to depend on the life, the perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel revealing righteousness of God to you. And as a result, his death paid for what you owed, but his life gave you what you could not attain. A lot of us don't get that. So you sit here and you condemning people to hell. And I'm like, how are you going to condemn what he's justified? That's the Bible. So then, so then look, look, we have to finish up. Just, just go, Leah, just go. So Romans 5.18 says this. So then, as through one transgression resulted condemnation to all men. Because of one transgression, Adam, there was condemnation for all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, Jesus, there resulted justification of life to all men. And, and for as through the one man's disobedient, the many were made sinners. And some of us think, oh, see, there it is. We were made sinners. But look, even so through obedience to the one, the many will be made righteous. We're not righteous. We're named right. So, you know, like a made man, you don't do nothing to the person in, internally. I, I'm, a, I'm a gangster flick guy. But when they, when, they, when they have a made man, nothing changes internally. They're named something, right? So when you, look, uh, go back, go back, go back real quick. Go back, go back. Yep. So look, when it says, when it says many will be made righteous internally, you're not, you're not righteous. You're, you're still not righteous inside when you believe in Jesus Christ, and you prove it when you sin after salvation. You're named. You're declared righteous. You're, you're not guilty. You're not guilty. And so it goes on, and give me the, the NLT version of that. He was handed over to die because of our sins, but he was raised to life to make us right with God. And here's my final scriptures. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right. That's righteousness. 
We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. In other words, don't let the world or another Christian or the devil or the enemy lie to you and tell you you've done too much to be saved by Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody, including yourself, tell you that you're too far away to be saved by Jesus Christ. If you know my testimony, and I've shared it time and time again, if anybody can't be saved, let me be exhibit A of what impossible for God looks like. He saved me. I am a pastor who 10 years ago, it was in no shape. It's probably literally the child of Satan himself. But when he called my name, I ran out of that grave. You see what I'm saying? We're going to sing Glorious Day again. This is what I want you to do. This, I'm begging you. Come on up. Come on up, y'all. And I'm sorry I went a little long. I had to get this to you. But look, when we sing Glorious Day this time, I want you to listen to the words. I want you to feel what this should reveal for you, for everybody in this room, okay? You were the walking dead. Although you, you could see, you, although you were breathing, you were not alive. You literally are walking in a tomb without Jesus Christ. You're headed to hell. Here's the thing. When you place your dependence on getting into heaven, on Jesus Christ alone, when you call on him as Lord and Savior, he calls your name, Jason. He calls your name, Jeremy, Nick, Tyson. He calls your name, Dan. I can't even get your name out now, Jeff. He calls your name, right? He calls your name, and you run out of the grave. Why? Because you had no chance of getting out the grave unless it was the life of Jesus Christ that paid your access into heaven. So you don't get up and casually walk out the grave. No, 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 no. You run out that sucker. This is the gospel, that he died to pay for your debt but that he lived so that his life could be accounted to you so that you could run out of the grave. I know what the world has told you. I know what the world has told you about you and your hypocrisies and your mistakes and your failures. I know what you've told yourself. I know that you wake up and you fail again and again and again. But Jesus says, I live so those failures won't keep you from being in my presence. This is how we sing that song. We run out that grave into his glorious day because Jesus died and lived for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's get up and sing.
Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for calling our names. Father, we thank you for revealing how to meet the set standard through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we're so unworthy because we're still not righteous. We're still not good. 
And yet, when we call on the name of Jesus as our Lord, when we place our dependence on him, Father, you proclaim and declare us as if we live the life that he lived, though we haven't, though we didn't, and you call us righteous by your standard. And, Father, we have access into the kingdom because of that. I pray that if there's anybody under the sound of my voice right now, Father, that they may be encouraged, if they don't know your son, Jesus Christ, to seek him, to look for him, Father, to, to knock, knowing that you will answer the door and that you will accept them into the family, Father, and that you will declare them righteous just like you declare me, an unworthy sinner, an enemy, who your son died for at the right time, so that I could be a part of that glorious day. It is in your precious son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Woo. This podcast is a ministry of Church on the Rock, building his body, breaking our barriers. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at www.churchontherockbb.com.